Today's episode of the Triple Threat Podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew. Hey, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes used to have a saying, take care of business, baby. And if you got business to take care of tonight with your better ass, the best way to do it is get to bluechew.com right now because only right now. If you use the promo code franchise, you're going to get your first shipment free. And all you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling, making sure, like Dusty said, take care of business, baby. You're going to be able to take care of it right tonight. It's the first ever chewable, so you're not going to have to wait at that doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast-acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. So if you've got business to take care of tonight, like the American Dream said, take care of it right. BlueChew.com and the promo code FRANCHISE. <laughs> the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. get it rolling right here and right now and welcome back to the triple threat podcast being brought to you today empowered on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always on the two-man power trip i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only jp john paz and on this show we are so happy to be graced by once again for episode number 68 on his show, the Triple Threat Podcast, the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, welcome in here to episode number 68. Man, it uh, feels great. You know, just now that we've got well eclipsed uh, the the uh, birthdays, so we're, we're up into the upper numbers now, like approaching into, like, real legend territory, like the Bruno San Martinos and the Dominic Danucci's and the Larry Zabisco's and those guys. So we're number 68. Sounds good to me. Absolutely. And funny you mention every single one of those guys because a part of today's show, after we kind of dig through some of the uh, the hot topic news that's uh, out there that I uh, definitely dying to hear what you got to say about Shane, we're going to talk about kind of the history of pro wrestling in Pittsburgh and some of the big names that come out of the Steel City and some of the, uh, the marquee events that come to mind when you think about Pittsburgh and uh, really eager to uh, hear what you got to say because we had the opportunity to spend a nice Saturday 
with Larry Zabisco. John uh, hung out with him on Friday night as well. And uh, just kind of hearing some stories and obviously the connection with him and Bruno and then the connection that you have to Bruno through Dominic. It's, uh, it's going to be really cool to kind of put all these together. And uh, from what I understand, you know a little bit about the Steel City. Just a little bit. Uh, born and raised here and, you know, bleed black and gold and grew up starting uh, started watching the old studio wrestling uh, based on uh, WIIC. It's not WPXI, the NBC affiliate. <clears throat> WIIC back then uh, TV on Saturday nights at 7 p.m. It was sponsored by American Heating and Plumbing, and the, the catchphrase was, who can? American. American Heating and Plumbing. And uh, it was hosted by Bill Cardill, who would later go on to uh, most people listening to this that aren't from Pittsburgh would notice uh, would know Bill Cardill from being the reporter in Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Uh, and most Pittsburghers listening to this, uh, people from uh, listeners from the Pittsburgh region would know Bill Cardill uh, not only as the host of uh, Studio Wrestling out of WIIC, but also as the host of Saturday night's uh, Chiller Theater at midnight, which was a campy sort of, uh, you know, horror show type uh, uh, thing before Saturday Night Live came on. And uh, and actually for some time after, for some time after, I mean, for several years, like in the early 1980s, once Saturday Night Live debuted, uh, Chiller Theater pushed, it was preempted. Uh, SNL was preempted here in the Pittsburgh market until after Chiller Theater was over, like at 1 a.m. or something. So, you know, Bill Cardill was uh, was a big, big part of the uh, Pittsburgh wrestling scene as much as, uh, if not more, than m- most of the wrestling names from this region. Oh, that's cool. And it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the Night of Living Dead and the George... Uh, Romero connection because last week I uh, was kind of going down the uh, the Night of the Living Dead rabbit hole and watching a lot of the stuff and never realized that strong of the connection to Pittsburgh. I don't know if I just didn't realize it or know it, but so cool to see as they were putting all the different movies together how much you know the city played into it. And uh, my favorite one is actually in the the, the George Romero uh, pantheon is Dawn of the Dead, the first one because I love the look of the Monroeville Mall. And uh, that's yeah. always cool to see. Do you remember the Monroeville Mall? Did you attend the uh, the Monroeville Mall at all? No, I, hell yeah, I did. In fact, it's, it, you know, talk about a small world because the convention that Dominic and I were at in Oneonta, New York, uh, the AuthorCon, this past Saturday, uh, sitting right behind us for the entire day and didn't even know it. It wasn't until the end of the day that I walked around, uh, you know, got a chance to, to break free and walk around and see all the other tables. Uh, was the actor, uh, forget his first name, Crut is his last name. Uh, he was in Dawn of the Dead. And so he came around to the table and was talking with me and Dominic. And we had a long talk about that. There used to be at the Monroeville Mall, they had in one of the stores, and I can't recall which store it was, <clears throat> they had a Dawn of the Dead like museum in the back. Uh, and this actor, Mr. Crut, told me that I, when I asked him about that, he told me that that had been moved, that museum had been moved to Evans City, which is uh, a little bit north on I-79, Interstate 79, which is where uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original movie, was filmed. And uh, that museum is now up in Evans City. And it's a small world, because, you, you know, you said you're going through that, we're talking about this, you t- say Dawn of the Dead, 
Uh, and, and the story I'll, I'll share with you, the short story I share with this actor, uh, that when my best friend and I, Rich Show, uh, went to see Dawn of the Dead, uh, that we were in the theater watching the movie. Middle of the movie, the movie stops, and the doors of the theater open up, and a bunch of cops with, like, rifles come running into the, they come walking into the theater, like, walking down the two aisles and get up to the front and, and tell us we have to exit the theater and single file. And, you know, it's pretty scary for kids to, you know, to, to see this. What was going on was there was a hairstyle shop right next to the theater and there was a hostage situation in there. So they were <laughs> taking us all out through that. And then after they got that all taken care of, we went back in and finished watching the rest of the Hunt of the Dead. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, George Romero is one of the one of those uh, classic staple Pittsburgh names and, and faces. Uh, sadly, passed away a few years ago, but left a hell of a mark with just a little movie he made uh, back in the 60s, Night of the Living Dead. And, and like I said, with Bill Cardell being in that movie, the interesting thing about Night of the Living Dead, for me especially growing up, uh, but I'm sure for everybody else in Pittsburgh, if you remember at the bottom of the screen, they were B-rolling, like on the TV, like when Bill Cardell would be on, you know, emceeing, you know, host, like doing a newscast uh, in the movie. At the bottom of the screen, they would B-roll, you know, like names of towns and places like where there were, uh, I guess, like uh, safe zones. Right. And one of them was Beaver Falls, which is right across the river from where I grew up uh, in New Brighton, Pennsylvania. And, you know, they had a just a running list of, areas around, you know, cities and towns around the Pittsburgh area, you know, the Beaver Falls Community Center or, you know, the such and such hospital. And those were all real legit places. And, and, you know, for Pittsburgh, that, that, where that movie got its big start, that was, that legitimized the movie, made the movie seem that much more real, uh, you know, as real as a zombie movie can get, right? So it was, uh, a lot, a lot of history lore with uh, George Romero and Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, you know, crazy stuff. Great stuff. That's a great franchise, though, to have, like, synonymous with your area. <laughs> you know, like, where, where, John, oh, yeah. where John and I are from, it's uh, the Kevin Smith, you know, Clerks, uh, Mall Rats. You know, that's, like, the famous thing from uh, the, that Monmouth County, New Jersey area. But, I don't that's know. Pretty, that's pretty big. No, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm definitely a Kevin Smith uh, fan. And uh, how's he doing after his heart attack? Well, he had the uh, the Widowmaker heart attack, and and from what I understand, and I've only seen maybe one or two pictures of him, he lost a shitload of weight, and yeah, uh, he, he looks completely different. You know, real thinned out. Uh, still has the beard. You know, still rocks the trench coat, the backwards hat, but. Uh, completely changed his life around and it's cool to see you know when I, I know it's a horrible thing when it, you actually experience it but when you can kind of bounce back and, and change your lifestyle and your health and be more conscious of what you're putting into your body I mean he was a chain smoker you know and yeah. obviously he was eating whatever the fuck he wanted to <laughs> so it was pretty cool to see that he was able to change his life so drastically but oh my god did we almost lose him in an instant well it's it's, it's you know I was going to use the word funny but not funny but it's pretty uh, prescient how uh, you know almost dying you know will make you. Uh, you know people who say I'm never going to stop smoking, and then they have something like that happen, or I'm never going to stop eating junk food, or I'm never going to stop drinking or doing whatever, and then something like that happens, and you realize that you know you're a fork in the road. You 
you can either keep doing that stuff and be dead a lot sooner and you know happily you know for him if he's done that it's fantastic here because he's, he's a talented guy uh i love the comic book guys show on amc is it still on i you know i, I haven't watched it i haven't watched it, watched it in dead. forever no I, I stopped watching walking dead a couple of years ago so i don't know if it's uh if it's still around, but that comic book shop, that was the shop that was right in the town where, uh, you know, where, when I, before I moved to Virginia, that's where uh, you would go in the town. But, you know, I'm only going to speak for myself here. I just want to throw that out there because even though I did buy out the wrestling uh, video uh, uh, inventory at RST Video in all those Kevin Smith movies, I bought the whole thing out. I, I think I might be the only one who does like those movies. Am I right there, JP? Yes, I think you might be. I absolutely do not like them. Not a fan. But I know a lot of people that uh, live in the, the area do love those movies. So I, I won't say too much negative stuff about it because I know there's a lot of fans out there. <laughs> Be a heel. <laughs> I'm pulling a franchise. I'm being a heel. I didn't like those movies. What do you think about that, Shane? Really? Yeah, I'm not a fan. I don't like it, uh, Shane. I'm, I'm being a big heel for sure. I can't believe you like it, Shane. You're uh, you got to... You got to be with me on this one. You got to stick to your heeldom. You know, I, you know, like I haven't seen like most of his movies, like the recent stuff. Like when I I remember Clerks and uh, what was the other big one he had? Uh, Mallrats. 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 When I I was the Clerks, I was I was more on Silent Bob, right? Yep. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But, like, the thing for me, you know, the downside for me with, with, like, their act, like any act, is after you've seen it, like, in a movie or two, it's sort of, there's only so many punchlines you can do that are like that, that work in that. Uh, But, you know, I I look at it more from the point of view of, you know, here's two guys that have pretty much zero talent. Like, they're not song and dance guys. They're not magicians. They're not athletes. They're not... There's just two guys from the from the neighborhood that figured out some way to go out and make it, you know. And in that respect, you got to give them credit. My uh, my wife grew up in the same town where the convenience store is and was that's in uh, Clerks. And when Kevin Smith worked there when she was a kid, she said he was such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. So yeah. There's a little, uh, you know, bringing it back, but you can see her house in a couple of the exterior shots in the uh, the original. Really? Yeah, yeah, you can. It's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, they shut the street down. And when they filmed the remake, or not the remake, the sequel in like 99, 2000, you know, we were able to go down and kind of watch what was going on. And it was really, uh, you know, it was pretty cool. And, and, and unless you're uh, you're JP and you're just, uh, you're buried in your basement there watching every... Uh, every Daniel Bryan match that you could possibly find, then uh, you can't appreciate some of the finer points of filmmaking. <laughs> well, the, the thing that always, like, that I always mark out on is, uh, like, when the Jets won the Super Bowl, you know, with uh, Joe Namath. Joe Namath was a Beaver Falls boy, again, right across the river. And I just, like, within the last year, year and a half, I saw footage of him. They had a parade. And they had footage of him from the parade and like shooting down the main street of Beaver Falls towards New Brighton. And so you can see up on the hill and stuff in the back, you can see New Brighton. And it was like a time machine. Because I was looking into that screen thinking like right now on the other side of that river, I'm like 
right around the age when I started watching wrestling, you know? So like, if there was a way to step into that TV screen and just walk right across that bridge, I'd go find my six, seven year old self up on the hill there. You know, it's pretty, pretty wild. Like that kind of stuff. So it's like a time capsule. That's cool. Yeah. And you grab that six, seven year old self and you grab by the little, uh, the, the collar and you say, you know what? One day kid, you're going to become the franchise. <laughs> no, no. What I, what I would say to him is, I'm the ghost of Christmas future. Get the fuck out while you can. <laughs> <laughs> run run as fast as you can. Or go to goddamn medical school. <laughs> when you see a 203 area code, just go in the other direction. Yeah, yeah. Either that or become a mass murderer and just wipe the guy out before he can impart all this horror on people and... <laughs> Uh, tell tell Ivan Koloff that he's uh, begging for welfare, the piece of shit. I mean, that wouldn't be a bad idea. See, time travel could be useful. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, the 203 area code, the uh, the wrestling promotion or sports entertainment entity that emanates from the, uh, the, the great state of Connecticut is going to be holding a show in Saudi Arabia coming up entitled Crown Jewel. And this show is obviously under a ton of of fire uh, over the last week. Uh, I sent you the article over the weekend, Shane, so you could kind of keep up on it. And uh, it's getting a little dicey. Under a a cloud? Why? I haven't heard anything. What's (laughs) going on? You know, I mean, when they went to Saudi Arabia earlier this year, it was looked to be a a huge uh, propaganda-filled endeavor that the Saudi prince was looking to make Saudi Arabia looked more westernized and kind of show the world that it was a long... Basically, the WWE's entire trip over there was a brochure of sorts or a uh, travel companion to show you that, hey, you can come to Saudi Arabia. We're changing things. But as we've learned from following the news, and we are not going to get 100% political here. We're just kind of uh, celebrating the facts that are out there and uh, kind of diving into the story. But... You know, there was uh, some dicey stuff going on behind the uh, the consulate doors, and uh, now lawmakers and a lot of political officials are urging WWE to not go to this show. But as we've talked about with the return of Shawn Michaels and the money that's on the line and the stock prices that are on the line, WWE looks to be going through with this show. So, Shane, what do you think about this whole uh, situation as it's unfolding? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's certainly not Vince McMahon's doing. And, you know, in business, oftentimes you find yourself in whirlwinds that aren't of your doing. Uh, the question I think I would be asking right now is in this whirlwind of, you know, the Me Too movement and all these movements that are afoot today, uh, where seemingly everybody's being boycotted daily if, if there's not some political correctness to something. Uh, I don't see how. Look, flat out, Vince McMahon will go through with his show. Uh, so we'll start with that. Uh, because there's no way in the world Vince McMahon's going to say, to hell to all your millions of dollars you want to give us. And uh, like you said a second ago, the, the art of what I believe is artificially high stock price. Uh, certainly the TV ratings don't bear that out. Uh, uh, the house show attendance and all the other things that the fans always hear me talk about. Uh, so something like this, would be so public uh, for him to pull out now that it would certainly send those stock prices, I would believe, trending downward, uh, p- perhaps plummeting. Um, so I don't see Vince Man pulling out of this thing. So now let's take a further range look at this. Uh, if, you know, what I, the, the, 
you know, as I was scanning online today and seeing these uh, these feeble attempts by the Saudi government to come up with some sort of a, an answer, you know, I, I mean, you know, guy walks into a bar, right, like a joke. Guy walks into a Saudi uh, consulate and never comes out, disappears. Uh, sort of hard to say, geez, we didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> and now they've come up with this story that, you know, at least the last report that I saw was that they were considering putting out uh, a story that he died inadvertently during interrogation. Uh, I, I, I've been scratching my head on that one because how does that flush? Like, how does that fly? How does that make it any better? Like, so a guy comes in there to get his mayor's license or paperwork to do his mayor's license and you're interrogating him so badly that he ends up dead, uh, you know, which is contradicts everything you said for the last, what, going on two weeks. So, look, there, there's no way this doesn't give the WWE a black eye at some point. But, you know, if you haven't paid attention to Vince McMahon over the last 30 years, he don't give a shit about black eyes as long as there's money associated to it. So uh, he'll go forward with it. The question I would have now is for... Like I, uh, the I forget his name. The guy, the big wig with Uber, uh, they pulled out of some symposium that's supposedly taking place about economic development in Saudi Arabia. I'm sure others will follow. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see because this is the kind of thing that you know, damn the torpedoes can be seen from some places as a sign of strength, and that I would say in the past. Now, today, with all these movements afoot, where you just sort of go along, imagine somebody today saying, hey, I, you know, I was aware of Harvey Weinstein's uh, actions, but he was making great movies, so I, we were making money, so we just went along. It doesn't sit real well. Um, so I don't see how this doesn't become a scandal of sorts for the WWE uh, if he doesn't pull out. And if he does pull out, then that's going to be devastating to his stock, I would think. So it's going to be very interesting. You know, it couldn't be happening to a nicer guy. You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's going to be able to sit back and watch him really get fucked for once. And this is going to be fun. I enjoy and relish it because it doesn't happen often. You know, it's interesting to see the fact that, you know, when they, if you, if you kind of look in the, the history of wrestling, right, and you look at how, uh, you know, war or uh, conflicts played into how a storyline was or, you know, your evil bad guy or the Cold War or, you know, even think about uh, Sergeant Slaughter as an Iraqi sympathizer and that playing on the emotion. And, and, and I just, I feel like this was so fresh that people were looking to jump on it the last time and they really didn't have anything to go on. There wasn't that much. I mean, there's still always going to be crazy stuff going on between uh, the countries, but there wasn't anything fresh in everybody's mind. And since this was such a big deal, uh, I think that kind of accentuates it. But in the, the thing I kind of wrote up for you guys and sent out, uh, the fact that John Oliver covered it on that show he has on HBO, which, you know, a lot of people watch. It's a very relevant show. Um, I personally don't. I don't think anybody else in this uh, this current line <laughs> watches it either. But the fact that it was scrutinized by that audience to me, I was I was just surprised that it jumped on that kind of radar. So the fact they're going is it's as brazen as uh, as the McMahons could be and WWE could be. But you know, I got to be honest with you, I'm uh, I'm actually shocked that people are going after them so hard right now. Well, now ask yourselves, 
you know, for all the that political, you know, the, the one thing is different, vastly different now than even, say, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, is all this political correctness that's stifling everything. So where you have, uh, you know, you mentioned Sergeant Slaughter, 1990, 91, the height of the Gulf War, uh, there was no political correctness or it certainly hadn't reared its head as ridiculously as it has today. Uh, so with that being the case, as bad as it is today, uh, the WWE has several major institutional investors. Uh, so if Uber's pulling out because of this, pulling out of the symposium in this area, I'm guessing others will follow especially if they can't come up with some sort of a plausible, here's a video of him leaving or something like that. Uh, you know, this is going to be a really, really black eye on the kingdom. And uh, it's not going to be one easily forgotten. So for the WWE to just be sauntering in there in the midst of all this, uh, I've got to believe that some of those institutional investors like Merrill Lynch and others might, might be reticent to keep their money in that investment uh, moving forward. Uh, let's see. So far, this thing's been kept on front pages of the newspapers for the last two weeks, which is an eon in, in a news life cycle. Uh, so I don't see it going away anytime soon just because their attempts at trying to explain this thing away has only has been so badly blundered. You know, the, to be clear, this thing from the beginning was a dumb dumb idea no matter i don't care who conceived it who hatched it where it came from you know in today's day and age with all these cameras every place and everything else somebody walks into your consulate and there's no proof of him walking out well geez where the hell did he go did he beam me up scotty you know it's uh pretty damn clear what, what's going on here i just can't believe that and that to me is almost like the the exculpatory explanation you know because it is so damn stupid and silly and obvious that is it possible that there may have been somebody else in there? Like, like what did Trump say today? Rogue uh, killers. I, cause it, you know, if I come to dinner at your house and don't come out, you know, it's geez, it's pretty, well, wonder who did it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, that's the only part to me. It's so obvious that it seems too stupid. You know, like, like, why would a country do that? Because, you know, it's uh, it's going to be <laughs> impossible to explain away. You know, and and as we're seeing that this attempt tonight that I like I said earlier a second ago uh, that they're going to they're considering putting out a statement saying that uh, he died uh, in interrogation. <sighs> Isn't that sort of like half admitting, like, hey, mom, I didn't break the cookie jar, but I was getting a cookie? You know, I mean, it's it's like one, you either know something or you don't know anything. And, you know, the, the, the attempts for the last two weeks uh, to suggest they had no idea what happened, and now, gee whiz, they sort of maybe did have an idea, I think just screams out even more like a neon sign. They did it. They did it. They did it. And for Vince McMahon and the WWE to, to be willingly waltzing into the kingdom at this time uh, is, is is very suspect. Uh, I don't see how it turns out well for him, other than his bank account. But you know, it, you know, moves that are financially 
rewarding aren't always the ones that, uh, that are the wisest to do. So let's get back and, like I said, enjoy watching a certain Irishman from a certain small northeast, northeastern state uh, making a real mess of things. <laughs> He'd be making a mess of his pants if uh, this stock price uh, gets affected. But, you know, we saw a couple weeks ago, this is the last thing on this before we, we move on to kind of the fun part of this uh, this episode. But, you know, we saw the fact that some executives sold some major uh, major uh, stock in the company and made a mint uh, off of it. You know, you see the, the the lore we've talked about over the last few weeks with uh, the in-ring return of Shawn Michaels. You see how they've built this up. They've, they've had the dream match of dream matches. They have Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles, you know, in what would be, I'm sure, an epic contest between the two of them. And then you're bringing over stars like The Undertaker and Kane to be a part of the show. I mean, they're pulling out all the stops. Let me just put the uh, ball in your court as a talent. So there was a story going back at least 10 years that when the WWE was going to Iraq for the troops shows, the tribute to the troops, that Rob Van Dam had kind of protested it and said, look, if it's voluntary, I don't want to go. I don't really want to be involved in it. You know, it's not taking a political stance. I just don't feel comfortable. Now, if you're in the shoes of a talent and you see this stuff going on, if you go to management and say, listen, personally, I feel as if I'm, I am i don't feel safe. I don't think this is a, a move you know, for my own personal well-being. Do you think still there's going to be that scrutiny on you as a talent that you're stepping away from the, quote, team going? Or do you think it's more since you're the, uh, the independent contractor, you're protecting your own business by kind of taking a stand for your own moral belief? <laughs> The reason I'm laughing is because it's such a silly question. I mean, <laughs> if you're working in the WWE and you tell Vince, hey, yeah, I don't feel safe and I'd, I'd really rather not go home to my family in a box, uh, well, we just need to look at, at an example of a certain guy that fell from the Kansas City Kemper Arena building on that. Uh, no, Vince, this is the biggest, most foolish thing in the, in, in the wrestling industry. You are not an independent contractor. <clears throat> when I, whenever I worked there, I didn't have the option to say, you know what? My son's birthday is on the 6th of December, and we got, I know you got that big show planned over there, but you know what? I'd rather stay home and see my, my kid for his birthday, uh, and then the weekend after that, I'm going to swing on over to, to my friends in Philadelphia and see an ECW show, maybe maybe appear on it. And and, and before I come back, I'm going to pop back down to Atlanta and pop in there and have one last go around there, and then I'll come back. That would be an independent contractor. My contract with the WWE was explicit. I could work for anybody in the world except WWE, WCW, New Japan, All Japan, and this long, detailed list of who I couldn't work for. Uh, I'm certain that those contracts have gotten more stringent rather than less stringent. Uh, so, no, if I went to Vince and said, hey, look, I, I don't feel safe, uh, Unless I was in, in a really, really top spot making him a shitload of money, I'd be uh, probably not fired. Or like, you know, said, told you guys before, there's a lot worse things when you're working for a company, uh, the evil empire, uh, that, than firing. They could you know, put you on every tiny, teeny show around the country and run you ragged, running between the points and have you driving your ass off and everything else and still not making any money. So, you know, firing 
you know, would be a commercial killing in that in that case. But no, you wouldn't have a choice to do it. Uh, you know, when you get that, when you got back then, you know, different out you tickets. But back then, when you got that booking sheet and that stack of plane tickets, they didn't ask you which ones you wanted to be at. Uh, it was very self-explanatory. You're on all of them or you ain't on any of them. Uh, you know, it's the same thing I've often talked about with the injury uh, thing, how, how the addiction uh, thing started in wrestling in the first place. If you go and tell, you know, you go out and have the bad fortune of getting injured in the ring. If you go back and say, hey, man, hey, I've got a broken bone in my back, uh, like I did, then they accuse you of faking an x-ray. Uh, if you go back and say, hey, my doctor says I need surgery or says I need this much time off to recuperate, then they'll tag you with unreliable or uh, injury prone. And neither of those are something you want to be tagged with when you're an independent contractor wrestler, per their terms, not reality. Uh, so same thing here. You know, it's a, it's either you're going to go entertain the troops because if not, we can go out and put out the missive that you're not a patriot and you're not here to support the troops. Uh, but you know, when when Rob did that, you know, if if that story was true, uh, and I've never spoken to Rob about it, but if that story was true, I give him credit for standing up for himself. Uh, because let's face it, you, whether you go or not go. Has nothing to do with your patriotism. It has nothing to do with your supporting the troops. It has, I think, everything to do with the whole idea that you have a family to feed and you flying into harm's way. You know, especially at that time. If you remember during that uh, uh, that, that war, you know, there were you know a lot of mortar rounds and stuff being fired at, at U.S. bases and stuff. So there was no way that they could guarantee your safety. Um, you know. So to long-windedly answer your question, no, there, you'd have no choice. If, if you went or if you didn't go, unless you were in a real big money spot and either lost your smile or your hair, <laughs> I had to get that <laughs> ticket. Uh, then, yeah, you, you, you'd, you'd be fired or uh, other uh, of yours. Sounds like a great place to work, huh? Don't you want to go now? <laughs> Doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it's like Disneyland without the rides and and with double the price of the tickets. <laughs> hey, Shane, let's pause one second and remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us who need to be enlightened, it's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to wait in that pesky doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast-acting, and you can also use it on a full stomach. It also comes with very discreet packaging so that neb-nosed mailman doesn't get to know that you're going to be taking care of business with your significant other later on this evening. So right now, if you want to give Blue Chew a try, just go to bluechew.com and use promo code FRANCHISE. <laughs> FRANCHISE. You get your first shipment free, and all you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling. Again, go to bluechew.com right now and use the promo code FRANCHISE. That's right. <laughs> FRANCHISE. Get your first shipment free and pay only $5 for shipping and handling. Again, bluechew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. I suggest you do this before, you know, the Chadster tries to buy out the entire stock. 
Get the BlueChew.com right now. Now, Shane, this past weekend, the two-man power trip had the opportunity and the honor to work with the living legend, Larry Zbysko. We're at the Legends of the Ring Fan Fest in New Jersey. You know, some might call it Larry Land for the weekend, but it was Monroe, <laughs> New Jersey. So, you know, as we're working with him, we're starting talking about guys from Pittsburgh. Obviously, you know, he's got a lot of good Bruno stories. We mentioned you. He loves you. So I just love it. And, and obviously, Chad wanted to talk about it as well. Big time was the Pittsburgh wrestling legacy. You got yourself. You got Zabisco. You got Bruno, obviously. Dominic Danucci, Kurt Angle. Now, we were kind of talking about this off air. Chad made a list of guys, and I named a couple of them, but he did omit a couple names, and I think it was on purpose. What do you, what do you think about that, Shane? <laughs> I, I noticed the, the names. It's, a, it's actually like uh, a person, but, but potentially two names that are left off the list because of the, uh, you know, the, the gimmicks. But uh, there's one William Reed uh, Edie. Uh, Big Bill Eady. Okay, yeah. all right. Now, I... All right, wait, I'm sorry. I got to cut you off. Now, I was going to put him on the list, okay? I I actually did... Uh, I oh, cheated and saw yeah, a list. Yeah, right, here we go. I just... I. You know what? I had never heard it before, so I didn't put him on because I didn't want you to be like, oh, I never knew that Bill Eady was, uh, was from Pittsburgh. So I'm just defending myself. Continue. <laughs> what, are you, what are you kidding me? I didn't know he was from Pittsburgh. I, he... Uh, I met him, God, years and years ago, and he first came up to me, hey, are you from, really from Pittsburgh? And uh, I said, yeah, so, so really you've got the mass superstar missing from the list, and you've got, uh, which was the Axe or Smash? I, I always get him confused. Axe. So uh, you, you were missing out two fairly big names from the list, but, yeah, there were <laughs> there were a lot. You know, Big Don Stud was from uh, Butler, Pennsylvania, uh, right up the road. His family owned a... A garbage, you know, like a, 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 an auto, like uh, salvage yard type uh, business, and uh, you know, there was a, there was a, and I think in large part the reason for that was because of what we talked about at the top of the show, studio wrestling. You know, they, any young red blooded American boy that grew up in the Pittsburgh region on Saturday nights at 7 p.m. was tuned into Bill Cardell's studio wrestling on WIIC and. You know, the, 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 there were so many wrestlers that came out of this area right during that time and, and immediately following that time, including yours truly, uh, had a, a direct connection back to that. Uh, and that so many went on to become such large names in the business, I think, uh, bespeaks of, you know, the, the athletic nature of Pittsburgh, you know, very blue-collar town at that time. Um and, you know, and when you look at that list of, of names that we went down, you know, you had everybody on, every type of gimmick present on that. You had the big guy, you had, you know, the, 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 the semi-giant, right, and Big John Studge. You had the living legend. You had the wrestling technician like Dominic Danucci and jumping Johnny DeFazio and, and uh, you, you know, with... Uh, Got a brain fart, Johnny. Uh, Johnny Valiant. Johnny Valiant. I'm trying to think of his real name. Uh, that just passed away right before Bruno San Martino, but you know, tragically hit by a car. You know, they, they had the, uh, the you know the the, the the tag team type gimmick going. You know, so there's somebody for everybody. You know, every wrestling fan out there. You know, you've got guys that are the technician fans, guys that are the aerialist fans, guys that are the 
strong guy fans, guys that are big guy fans, anybody that's a wrestling fan at Pittsburgh has somebody on that list that, that they could look to and look up to and admire. And you can see that there's strings that run through all those wrestlers, you know? So when you see the Bisco and you go back and you watch, especially at the time of the Bruno angle, you know, my God, he was even built like Bruno. He looked like Bruno's kid. Uh, you know, it, it wrestled like Bruno, uh, built like Bruno, uh, looked like Bruno. Um, you know, it was, it was uncanny, the connections. And, you know, Pittsburgh's, you know, remained on, on the scene. And there's a lot of local prospects in wrestling even now uh, that have, you know, made, made their way into the business, making names for themselves. And, you know, more coming up the list all, all the time. And I think the reason for that is just because of the, the pedigree that's here. Pittsburgh, you know, we always say there's, you know, certain towns that are wrestling towns. Buffalo, New York is a wrestling town. Philadelphia is a wrestling town. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, by God, was a wrestling town. And people that grew up in those areas, uh, especially back in the late 60s to early 1980s, if you weren't going to college, and most of those guys weren't going to be college-bound guys, they had a choice. You'd go to work in a steel mill. And make a pretty good living until, until you couldn't, until you didn't, uh, when they were gone, or you could follow a dream. And, you know, the fact that so many people from this area made it in, to those upper echelons of wrestling, which I can attest to is not easy. Um, you know, it, I, I think it just speaks more for uh, the, the type of area that Pittsburgh is and the work ethic that is here in Pittsburgh. Uh, anybody that grew up in Pittsburgh grew up with parents that worked their ass off. And it becomes part of the DNA, you know. And so everybody on that list, when you sent that list over earlier, uh, I don't look at that list and see anybody on that list that was a lazy guy, you know, or, you know, a guy that just sort of uh, put in the time but didn't really work hard. You know, those, those guys were all, uh, for anybody in the business preceding me, uh, those guys ran their asses off. Uh, they drove seven days a week in a car, uh, show to show to show to show, rarely saw their families. Uh, when my generation came along, it was a shitload of driving and a shitload of flying. You know, you, you, I, I, I told a, uh, an FBI agent after the uh, uh, Chris Benoit tragedy um, was that, you know, it, it's... If you become a wrestler, snap your fingers and poof, you're a star in the WWE today. Uh, you get the luxury of, on a daily basis, jumping on a plane and flying at that time halfway across the country and sometimes halfway around the planet uh, to get to your destination, only to jump into a rental car and start it all over again. Uh, it's a very, very difficult industry. And that's not crying. It's just, it's just say, stating the fact. Uh, the fact that I look at this list and see so many, uh, you know, of my brothers on here that, you know, that have made such an impact on wrestling, uh, proud to have my name on that list. There was one guy on this list, and not to be mean or anything, but you were talking about working hard and all this other stuff. One name on that list that I'm looking at, and he doesn't strike me. As that, and I think you know who I'm talking about here. I don't. I don't know about. Uh, I don't know about Virgil here. I don't know. <laughs> well, and now, now you know what. Okay, let's. We've all we can all have our fun and telling Virgil stories, but 
look at it from this point of view. Uh, I was at a show in Boston one night, and Virgil was there. He had driven himself up from Pittsburgh and was there. I flew home the next morning and was in southern West Virginia, which has got to be like a 12, 15-hour drive from uh, from Boston, and Virgil was there. And, you know, there, Virgil will pop in any place, every place. The guy works hard. You know, I, I, I'm not going to be crying somebody for, for, to me, the person who wants to sit back and just, you know, collect. That, that's the person I decry. The person that's going out and busting his ass to make it A to B to C to D. Uh, I got no qualms with that. You know, it's, uh, but I, to me, the, the, the thing with that would be that, you know, here's, here's a guy that when I was breaking in, he was coming in, he, he was in like a, like the year or so preceding me. And we would be at shows and he would come in. And I remember I was on a tag match with him down in, uh, uh, Madison, West Virginia, I think it was. Uh, anyway, he had about a thousand spots. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then, 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 and summarily proceeded to mess up every one of his own spots. Knowing <laughs> 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 Virgil like we know Virgil, we know Virgil now, you could, you know, certainly appreciate that. But, uh, hey, hey, he's been around the wrestling business, uh, longer than me, and that's been a long time. So, uh, he ain't Shawn Michaels. He ain't Ric Flair. Uh, but he's 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 been around. He's he's made he's made a lot more money in this business than most people do. So, you know, it's uh, certainly not one of the Matt Classic guys. But he's 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 made his way in this business, and wrestling fans all know who Virgil is, right? So, uh, not a testament necessarily to his in-ring skills, but he's found a way to 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 make it and make a living at it. I can't, I can't begrudge that. Now, before anybody says that, you know, I was making fun of Virgil, I, I was kidding. I did get a chance to speak with Virgil a, a couple times on Saturday, and we love him. We did a great interview with him uh, as far as the two-man power trip. He, we, we just love him. He's a great guy. And I said to him, I said, isn't it funny that people were making fun of you, like the lonely Virgil and all that stuff, and now it's kind of flipped around on them, and he made a whole kind of gimmick about, about it and it kind of almost made himself um, like a little bit self-deprecating and then added like the meat sauce and all that kind of funny stuff and kind of turned <laughs> himself into, uh, you know, a little bit of a resurgence here. And he's getting booked a lot of places. I mean, I've seen him everywhere, not bring, quote unquote, bringing a gimmick table. I've seen him getting booked and getting paid at these places. So he's completely turned it around with a great resurgence. Yeah, I said anytime somebody can figure out how to make uh, chicken salad out of chicken shit, you know, to me that gets respect. Because you know, Dusty Rhodes didn't coin that phrase uh, just because. Uh, there's something to be said for that, and you know, Vir- the thing I always, I always love about Virgil is every time he sees me, I'll get a smile on his face, and always comes and says hello, and, and you know, so. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I, I've always gone along well with Mike. Now, is there a reason why we're not talking about Cody Michaels right now? I mean, do you have any heat with him? I thought he was your buddy. What, what's <laughs> going on with Cody Michaels? Cody, you know, Cody Michaels would, would have been the, the uh, fourth name out of Dominic's school to make it. He was on his way, in fact. Uh, he had started training after 
uh, Mick Foley and I, and uh, really did pick up quickly. I mean, uh, he, he was, you could see he got it. Uh, I had the same type of work ethic at Dominic School as Mick and uh, I and, and uh, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis uh, had, and others at the school, to be fair. Um, and I had known him from Bethany. We were roommates freshman year. Uh, you know, he was a football player and you know, a good athlete. Uh, he he had left Dominic school and was following Eddie Gilbert, much like I had. Eddie had given him his break. And wrestling uh, at a show, I want to say in Dallas. I may be wrong. I'm pretty sure it was in Texas. Uh, he got thrown out of the ring. And when he did, the momentum carried him through so quickly. And his chin caught up onto the bottom rope as he went through. And it snapped his neck back and broke his neck. Um and he was in the hospital for a long time after that and obviously couldn't wrestle anymore. And so, again, somebody turned chicken shit into chicken salad. Uh, he became a chiropractor and got a successful uh, uh, practice in Pittsburgh and has had since then, you know, some, since he's gone out of chiropractic school, uh, Palmer. He went to Palmer in Iowa, one of the premier chiropractic schools in the country. So... You know, Cody, My- Cody Michaels has, and he's also had a lot of stuff since then, too. He he was one of the uh, people working on, I think, as a producer on Wrestling Society X on MTV. Uh, he helped me co-promote uh, uh, November to November 97, every ECW show in Pittsburgh, all the hardcore homecomings, uh, all of the extreme rising shows that I was on. Uh, he was there. Uh, so Cody Michaels has... has like like Virgil in a different way uh, has found a way to make a name for himself uh, in the wrestling business. And it's not happenstance that Cody Michaels is one of those guys that sought out when, you know, uh, uh, Kevin Kleinrock wants to do a, uh, a Lucha Libre show or uh, something else comes up. Uh, he's got a great head on his shoulders and understands our industry very, very well. Now, there's a couple other guys that, you know, I just mentioned quickly. The legendary Baron Michael Cicluna. You got Rob Conway and Chad's favorite current wrestler, which is a little bit of uh, trivia for you. Elias, also from the Pittsburgh area. So not bad, right? Yeah, it's a, like I said, it's a complete list, right? It, it, there's, uh, uh, you know, again, when I go down that list, there's so many of those names, like, like Baron Miguel Cicluna. That's one of those names that, to me, like beckons me right back as a kid in the Pittsburgh Civic Arena because Baron Cicluna was always on the shows. He was like one of the workhorses. You know, he was one of those guys that, you know, had a a very good in-ring presence. Uh, It always reminded me in some way of Dominic. Dominic was more of a mat technician, but it almost like they were brothers. You know, and, and like as a kid, you're not sure like if they are connected or there's some kind of relationship there. Um, I never got a chance to meet Mike, uh, but Dominic speaks glowingly of him. You know, in fact, we Dominic's got a picture of himself, a uh, fairly recent picture, uh, like within the last 10 years or so of him, Bruno, Cicluna, uh, and there's a couple other people from that generation in the picture. And I didn't even recognize Cicluna because I hadn't seen him since he'd wrestled. 
And uh, that was one of those big names from that era that I had never gotten a chance to meet. And uh, Dominic put him over huge, you know, about what a great guy he was, uh, you know, what a hard worker, that kind of thing. And, you know, an honest guy. That was the one thing Dominic had saying, like, if he gave you his word, you could take it to the bank. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, the, going down that list as I was looking at it, you know, getting ready for the podcast tonight, I, I, you know, I had a smile on my face reading down it because so many memories go along with so many of those names. So many great wrestlers from pittsburgh so many great moments in pittsburgh the old obviously the old studio wrestling which you mentioned you had the first ever or one of the first ever sting versus flair matches in january of 88 obviously king of the ring 98 where foley falls off that hell in a cell not once but twice uh mm. SummerSlam 95 your wwf pay-per-view debut technically and of course you mentioned November to remember 1997. It's a lot of crazy moments and big time moments happening. Yeah, the the, the first Sting Flair match uh, actually took place uh, at the Three River Stadium. It was an outdoor show uh, at the uh, stadium where the the Steelers played and the Pirates then. Uh, And I remember them doing that show, like them announcing that. And it, it seemed like overly ambitious, like for them to to go there because they had just recently started uh, getting like the super station in the Pittsburgh area, like, like less than a year. And they announced that show. And I, I, the only thing I can think of that they must've thought is, you know, Pittsburgh being such a great wrestling town that, you know, now they can get the NWA, uh, you know, that this will do really well. But, you know, that, that stadium held, I want to say like 75,000, 77,000 people. It was a huge, huge venue. And they did fairly well at it, as I, as I recall. I mean, you know, nowhere near, like it wasn't even a half full. But, you know, I think they, I, don't, I can't recall the exact number paid off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, a little bit of trivia there. So, like, when people think of wrestling in Pittsburgh, they typically think the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, but there are some matches that went to the uh, three room stadium now obviously you know we're talking about ecw november november 97 was that something for you where you kind of really really try to hearken some of the past and really make sure that pittsburgh was back on the map in, in 97 as far as old school wrestling again is you know back in pittsburgh rather than sports entertainment kind of ruling the roost yeah, I fought hard to get it on TV in Pittsburgh. I, I knew that, that ECW would find its home in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, as much as they, you know, the Steeler fans and the Eagle fans, you know, you know, fuck them, fuck them type of thing, uh, they really are n- negative images of each other. You know, like uh, the, the cities are so similar in so many ways. There are a lot of ethnic regions in both uh, uh, hardworking blue collar towns, both, uh, you know, just very like two sides of the same coin. If that makes sense. So the fact that, you know, ECW had pretty much conquered Philadelphia uh, at that point, it only stood to reason to me that, that Pittsburgh was tailor made for ECW and Cody and I fought very hard. Cody, in fact, was the uh, Michaels was the one that actually secured the TV deal. Uh, I had him working on that, and he, you know, had a couple leads, and uh, you know, was able to, to secure that for us. And when 
we promoted the first show uh, in Pittsburgh. It was Easter Sunday of 97, I think it was that same year. Yeah. And on Easter Sunday at the Golden Dome, we had close to 800 paid after the doors not open. It was a cold, dreary, rainy day. And the doors didn't, they opened like an hour and a half late. Uh, and, you know, to ha- have that kind of a crowd on, on Easter Sunday, I think was a, was, you could tell something was going to work there. And then <coughs> we had, I think the, the, the pay-per-view in November, the November to River pay-per-view 97 was the fifth show. And each show we saw exponential growth. So we went from the first show on Easter Sunday to the next show, the second show there was a month and a half, two months later, whatever it was. Uh, and it had more than doubled. It was like 16, 17, 1800. The next one was like 25 or 2700. And then, of course, into the pay-per-view when it was the, uh, the complete sellout and turned, you know, estimates of 2,500 to 3,000 people away. Uh, you know, it, it was clear that we had, a, had a, arrived in Pittsburgh. The next step for, for ECW uh, would have been for us to start to conquer downtown Pittsburgh. The problem with downtown Pittsburgh is anybody here in Pittsburgh knows that, that, that is involved in the entertainment industry. When you start putting things inside the Pittsburgh city limits, you have, uh, I don't know if the current rate is, if it's still the same, but back then it was 10%. So $100,000 live gate, you had to lob 10000 right off the top and give it to the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, well, that's you know prohibitive for, for a wrestling show especially for an independent wrestling show like ECW was. We didn't have a huge corporate backing. So when you start going in and saying, you know, 10% amusement tax, 10 to 14, 15% is about the the profit margin for a show that size. You know, so you're really working your ass off for nothing to do it, to to take it in down there. Now, there there were some ways. We did run in the Pittsburgh city limits uh, a handful of times. We were... At the Pittsburgh Convention Center, uh, I I know at least two or three times, and but there was all kind of accounting tricks you had to play. It it was a lot of work, you know, to make it work. So, you know, there's a uh, there was a lot of reasons for us not to have gone into. But I think after the November November pay per view, it, it that was the next logical step. You know, if we can still this many people turn that many people away, then maybe we can fill the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. And I, I believe ECW could have. If, they, if we would have been able to commit a budget to advertising properly in Pittsburgh, I'm certain we could have filled the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, 16,000 seats. Now, Shane, it is that time again. AFA, Ask Franchise Anything. And this was sent in by a Twitter from K3 who is a loyal listener. He's a former winner of that awesome Tamatanga figure. He's a big fan of the show. He said, Shane, why were you not at the quote-unquote ECW, but really WB one-night stand pay-per-view? <laughs> uh, well, there, there, there's a lot of story to that. Um, first of all, everybody knows my feelings about Vince, and that, that, that was after my visit there in 97, uh, 95. That was my hands down, and I don't say this as, like to, as a sound bite to take a shot at anybody, that my six, seven months that I was there in 95, 
were hands down the worst six, seven months I'd spent in my entire career anywhere. Um, the demands that were placed on me, I was out working 27, 28, 29 days a month. Uh, the money that I was being paid, as everybody knows, was beyond shitty. Uh, you know, it, it's been, I, I didn't make minimum wage when you broke it down at the travel time and everything else. Contrary to Vince's petting my wife's hand and telling her she, he was going to make me a very wealthy man, made me very wealthy and experienced. <laughs> made hmm. me wealthy enough and experienced to know that I would never go back, and I never did. Uh, truth of the matter is, I knew that Vince never had any respect for ECW, and I knew that uh, whatever he was trying to capture in that first one, uh, that it wouldn't be. Uh, complimentary to ECW and you know if you remember like the guys sitting up there making fun of the show and it just had a really clown circus atmosphere to it uh which is what I figured what Peg Vince doing with it that said uh, the magic that was created in the ring by the guys Tanaka and, and the Dudleys and, and Tommy and Tad you know it, it was just one of those Sam, man, you know, one of those shows that showed and proved definitively that when you put the ECW guys in a ring, or again, when, for anybody that's new to the podcast, when I say the guys or the boys, I mean everybody, the men and the women. Uh, when you put us into the ring, there was magic that, that came out. And no matter what Vince tried to do with it, you could tell that the fans still got out of it what they wanted to get out of it. Uh, but I wasn't going to play part of it. Uh, and, and my guess is had I been there, that Vince wouldn't have been able to uh, help himself from being himself and, you know, try to take some kind of a shot at me, you know, whether verbal, certainly not physically, because I would, you know, I don't, I put it this way, if Vince is listening, I would relish the opportunity to be in the ring with Vince. Now, then, whenever. Uh, but to, uh, you know, the, the story of what happened with Meany, right? Uh, pretty absurd and ridiculous. And I think that there would have been more of a chance for Vince that thinks the way that Vince thinks. Uh, my thinking back then, especially with like this, that, you know, if I'm sitting in, in a building that he's running, that he has control of the security and everything else, he could set me up pretty easily. Uh, if somebody would have tried to do something, I would certainly have defended myself, and it would have been pretty easy to, to get me in a in a bad position. You know, put it this way: when you're a guy that walked out, uh, you don't walk back into the Saudi consulate, right? And, <laughs> uh, at least if you have a brain, and I, I wasn't going to go back there and give him that opportunity. And, and the largest part was I really did believe that he was going to try to make a farce out of ECW, and he did to some degree, uh, and, and really went after it later um, when, you know, he had the new ECW or ECW, whatever, you know, the, they, they called it the new ECW, right? Uh, well, uh, thank God I, I was intelligent enough to turn that down, too. Hey, you had a hell of a vampire uh, in that new ECW, so I don't know what you're missing. That was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey. no, and nothing against any of the guys that were working there. It's, you know, ECW was lightning in a bottle. And much like I said about the NWA, with 
as much incredible stuff that the NWA created over the years. When I threw down the NWA belt and said that, that company died RIP seven years ago, uh, ECW has now been dead for how many years? So, you know, 18 years, 17 years, whatever it's been. So, you know, there you can't recapture it. But the thing is, anybody that knew Vince knew that he wasn't doing it for that. He, he wasn't trying to recapture that glory. He, he had ulterior motives, and, uh, and we saw that play out in full force. We did. Now, before we wrap it up, I, I want to throw a little stump the franchise at you. I'm doing this off the cuff because I don't know why, while we were talking, something just kind of toggled in my mind, and I had to go back, and I had to go find a former uh, interview clip or a little quote here from a two-man power trip episode going back to 2015 and i just it stuck out to me now i want you i want you to guess who this is when i get to the end of this quote it might give it away but i just want to see uh see if i could stump you on this one you ready Mm, cool dig deep on this one okay let's give it a try all right here we go in pittsburgh back in 1967 they would give away different gifts to get fans to come to the tv shows and on this particular time, they gave away these small little couch pillows. They had probably given away about 250 of them. One of the ladies in the crowd had gotten mad at me and threw her pillow at me. So I get the pillow in the ring, and what am I going to do with it? I can throw it back, and then I'd have 250 pillows coming back at me. Or I could take a bite out of it. So I take a bite out of it, and I tore it, and it popped because it was so packed with stuffing. It just exploded, so I started throwing the stuffing in the air, and it was sticking in my hair like an abominable snowman. Then I took the pillow, wrapped it around my opponent's head, and started choking him. It was Bruno San Martino's wrestling cousin, Tony Marino, that said, maybe you should start tearing the turnbuckles, and everybody laughed. Who said it? That would be George the Animal Steel. So... Did you know that the Jersey Animal Steel turnbuckle bite emanated out of Pittsburgh? So there you go. It was the origin of the turnbuckle bite. I did not know that. I, I'd heard the story, uh, something else about those pillows, uh, but it was in relation to uh, the, the woman who, and her name will pop in my head here in a second. Uh, uh, the local promoter, his name was Ace Freeman. And his wife was the ringside Rosie. Uh, and the stories that I used to hear from those from the guys at that time, you know, back then, you know, you're talking about the 60s and 70s, right? Uh, you could still smoke. In fact, my youngest memories of being in the Civic Arena with my dad, when I see the ring in my mind's eye, I can see the smoke swirling up into the lights because everybody was smoking cigars and cigarettes. And it, it was nasty beyond belief. But, uh, uh, this woman, uh, they called her Ringside Rosie, but Rose Miller, that was her first name. Her first name was Rose. Uh, Rose Miller was the wife of the local promoter that ran the Pittsburgh Civic Arena shows. And uh, I'd always heard these stories about Ringside Rosie, and I never put it together. Like, I was, I was never sure, like, was it a work? Was she just working to gyrate the crowd up you know to help her husband or was she genuinely into it and dominic had had assured me that there was no work to it that she was that big of a fan that she'd get into it and she'd either if you took a bump near and you were one of the bad guys or heels she would burn you with her cigarette or poke you with her hat pin and you know draw blood and stuff uh, she was 
<laughs> make the wrestling fans today look like uh, wannabes, right? The, the ringside Rosie from the Pittsburgh Civic Arena is probably the one who threw that that pillow that you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was cool. I know that was one thing. I mean, when we did that interview with uh, with George Animal, see, we were so green. And we were so nervous, but he gave us two gems in that quote, and then also talking about how he came up with the green tongue. So it's uh, one of those cool things. I just once I heard Pittsburgh, I, I had to instantly go and find that uh, that quote. But hey, that's the beauty of uh, the Steel City. You never know what's going to happen there in the wrestling world. Amen. It's and that's the way wrestling's supposed to be, right? When done properly, uh, you you should be always guessing what's coming around the next corner. You know, it's, it should never be whether you're from a performer standpoint in the ring, it should never be, okay, what's the next thing I had planned in the back. Uh, it's the next thing should be, what would instinct do? And, uh, something, you know, if you're just going to go out there and regurgitate like the kids do today, something like that great story, uh, from George animal steel coming up with a really key element of his gimmick. Uh, that just happened, you know, I hate to use the word organically, right? It just happened. And he just went with it. And it became a major, major portion of the, the gimmick that would become towards the animal steel. Uh, yeah, I, I can't see that happening today. Yeah, no, you know, uh, can't see it. Different, day, different time and day. Absolutely. So if you want to get a question here, I know I uh, kind of steered away from the end of the Ask Franchise Anything little uh, pitch that we have here but if you want to ask anything to Shane please we we really urge you to reach out to us whether it is via email at the triple threat pod at gmail.com or please reach out to us via Twitter we're really starting to utilize Twitter for the questions we get some great ones at all different times of the week and uh, some really cool ones that we can save for down the road uh, you never know if we end up doing a full episode of ask franchise anything questions or like we throw them in at the end of each episode but please Try one of us. If we don't, if one of us doesn't see it, I'd be shocked. But you could hit Shane up on Twitter at the franchise SD, John at Two Man Power Trip, me at Wrestling Pal, or you could hit the show at the Three Threat Pod, all on Twitter, uh, all day, every day, uh, doing our thing and uh, really reaching out to people left and right. And there's just so much stuff going on in the uh, the podcasting world of Two Man Power Trip and Triple Threat Podcast. I mean, there's there's so much that we can do, and as you'll see in the coming weeks, we'll roll out some pretty cool stuff, but on the two-man power trip end of things, we announced earlier this month that we're going to be a part of a convention the day of WrestleMania in uh, New Jersey called Markout at the Meadowlands, but we also threw out a teaser for those of you in the Richmond, Virginia area that on May 18th, 2019, there will be a one-of-a-kind experience coming your way and that will be uh, all revealed in the next couple of weeks so a little a little mystery from the tmpt side of things but you can get all that information on tmptofwrestling.com where you can also find all of the great links that will get you to the franchise shane douglas merchandise whether that is the franchise shane douglas t-shirts from prowrestlingtees.com whether that is the unbelievable franchise Shane Douglas action figure from our good friends at Figures Toy Company, which, Shane, I know you you jumped on Twitter very quickly this week, but they revealed the concept art for the Chris Candido figure. And uh, might I say, same, very true to uh, to the Mr. Uh, no Gimmicks Needed Man, where they, uh, they really, they captured the gear, they captured the body type. It looks like it's going to be uh, an amazing figure. And still in the early stages, 
but they just revealed that this coming week. So please stay tuned to figurestoycompany.com for more of the reveals of the Chris Candido figure as well as just check out all of the amazing action figures that are on that website and will be released by Figures Toy Company in the coming months and even into next year with Francine and Joey Janela and uh, Shane Strickland and as well as Chris Candido. So, Shane, with all of that being said, why don't you tell us where you're going to be this coming weekend after you had another successful trip through the, uh, the great northern part of New York State. Where are you going to be this coming weekend? Yeah, this past weekend, Dominic and I were up in Onianta, New York. Uh, had a great trip up. Uh, uh, really nice area. I, it's been some time since I've been up to that area, that part of New York, but a really beautiful area. Met a lot of nice people and uh, had a great time. Uh, anytime I'm with Dominic, I always have a great time. But it was really, really nice to uh, meet uh, a lot of the people that were there at the shows. Uh, and uh, this coming weekend, I'm heading all the way down the other direction. I'm going to be down in uh, North Carolina for the NCWA show and uh, on Saturday. So uh, for everybody down in North Carolina, <clears throat> franchise is heading back your way. So looking forward to it. Back-to-back good weekends. All right. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. And then uh, inching ever so close to the big, big weekend in North Carolina, Thanksgiving weekend with WrestleCade. But we'll talk about that in the uh, in the coming weeks so uh, a lot of franchise in the great state of north uh, carolina coming your way so shane we're wrapping up episode 68 a great look into the historic city of pittsburgh and its professional wrestling ties and I appreciate you d- digging deep into the uh, to the memory vault and sharing some of your uh, your fondest memories of growing up as a wrestling fan in pittsburgh so please take us out and only the way you can and let's get it on to oh Episode 69. <laughs> One of my favorite numbers. Uh, number 69 next week, this is number 68. If you haven't already noticed, make sure you check before you go into any consulates anytime soon because you may go in and not come out. But until next week, make sure you tune in for 69, the number 69 next week, or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.